Sal. Thank you. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. I've been singing that for like a month. I don't know where it's coming from, but maybe Jesus. It's good to not have a devil song running through your mind, because I've had that before. It's not nearly as fun. You know what I'm saying? Not nearly as fun. So, hey, um, you're going to put, can you guys fix that zero thing? It says all zeros. Makes me feel like I'm nothing. You're just a zero to us. I'm getting better. I'm sorry. I was... I was trying to be funny. <laughs> Not working at all. So, sorry about that. I like your pants, though. Those are cool. Yeah, I want to get some of those. <laughs> Shiny things. Do you think I look good in leather pants? Seriously, like, leather pants with a Batman shirt. Huh? I look like a frickin' blimp. <laughs> Advertising for a Batman movie. <laughs> That's a, oh my goodness, I am so funny. <laughs> okay, we should uh, probably start. Holy Spirit. Are you guys over there paying attention to me or is somebody more attractive over there? Okay, somebody's more attractive. I see how that's working. Are you being funnier than me? Is that the problem? No? Okay. Okay, grab a hand. This is your hormone fix. Has nothing to do with prayer. This is for the single people. The married couples are enduring this for the single couples today. I've been doing this for a year and a half for you. I hope you feel cuddled. This is so you can feel cuddled right now. So, ha <laughs> See how it's moving you right to prayer? Yeah. Holy Spirit, thank you for what you're doing in this room. Amen. Sorry. Short. Um, I want to just kind of continue. We're going to do the... Shh, we're going to do the... Um, we're going to do the a prophet thing, but I, I, I kind of want to stay at this theme on wealth. Just one more session. And, and then have some questions and answers. Hey, and I sent, by the way, you can, you can bug Gabe because I sent him the notes this morning and asked him to give you the notes. So all, all the notes from what I taught yesterday. So it's not everything I know about wealth, but pretty much. <laughs> and I, I, um, I thought we'd just do a little bit more about this... Um, was was the practical parts? Uh, listen, I don't need you to encourage me. I really, I'm being serious now. Was the practical? How many of you for the practical parts were really good yesterday? As far as I know, they're good. Like, but you really connected to them and it was helpful. How many of you were like you didn't connect with them? It's all right. Raise your hand. It's it's good. Okay, so you're all expelled. Those last minutes. <laughs> no, I get it. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I, I know it's really, it's really. I want to just be careful that it doesn't become so business-like for some of the people that didn't connect. They're like, ah, oh, this isn't what I came to school for. But if you leave here and get wealthy, remember me in your kingdom. And uh, so, um, I want to just talk a little bit more about wealth. And I thought maybe a board, a little bit of a, a board uh, lesson would help just slightly because yesterday's. The numbers got kind of like, when we start doing the numbers, I don't know about you, I'm really good with numbers, but I like to see them on paper, and I, I connect a lot better. So I, I thought I'd just redo a couple of those problems and then share a few other things and then let you guys it connect. We can talk, ask questions. Is that that'd be all right? Uh, and just see, and by the way, the worst that will happen is we have 47 more minutes of this, and if it doesn't go well, I probably won't do any more of it. This never done it before in, in, this, in class. So if it doesn't go well, I won't do it again. And he'll just feed me back like, that was horrible, don't do that to anyone. So, um, but I was talking to you yesterday, I think maybe one of the problems, I mean, one of the uh, things that we said, let me get rid of the, these are the forceps, lady, in case any of you are pregnant and you're going to have a baby in a class, I'm going to pull that sucker right out. Right. <laughs> I keep him with me all the time because... One of my staff is just very pregnant, so I'm like, you just never know. And, uh, and then I got a knife in case she needs a C-section. <laughs> it's all right, because the Holy Spirit's going to teach me how to do it when we're in the moment. I got that worked out, too. So um, I, I think this, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm so funny. <laughs> so just, just, let's just do this one we did yesterday on the board and see if it's helpful at all, okay? Maybe we can gain the other 30 people or so that raised their hand. So I was talking about COG. COG, what's it mean? <laughs> Cost of goods, yeah. So if you, say, if you talk like COG, you know, to someone, they're like, oh, you know, unless you get it wrong, <laughs> Yeah, your CGO, your CGO is uh, messed up. So I just said, you know, like, if you have something that, you, you, that your COG is a dollar, right? I guess you put the dollar sign in front. That's the way they do it nowadays. Not the way I did it, but... If you, and then you sell it for $2, right? You sell it for $2. So you uh, sell it for $2. Whatever your widget, you know. You sell your widget for $2. So um, how much profit do you have? Obviously, a dollar. Okay, so very simple. And... Um, and what what'd you say? Different pen? Okay. You don't like blue people? This whole plea, this isn't a political statement. Is that any better? I think they all kind of suck, actually. Give me a crummy board. Yeah, I know, no eraser. They're messing with me. Okay. Do you have a really good one? Oh, see, Kate's trying to get a raise. Okay, so, thank you. And you sell it for $2 and you equal how much profit? Come on. You got a dollar, right? Okay, so you got a profit, you got a dollar's worth of profit. So you give a 25% discount. How much is 25% of $2? 
Very good. So, so now we're going to minus 50 cents off of the $1, you know, 0.5. And what are you going to get? How much profit is there now? 50 cents. So this is all I was saying yesterday. So you have 50 cents profit. So you, how, how much, what, what percentage of 50 cents is a dollar? Half. So you basically got, you gave a 25% discount, but you actually, how much did it reduce your profit by? 50%. And all I'm trying to say is, this is the, this is the, you know, the wonder of margin and markup. And just in case any of you get in a conversation with someone where you want to sound intelligent, so you had a, how much markup did you have? You had a, from dollar to two, I'm sorry. You had 100% markup, but how much margin did you have? 50%. Okay, so, so margin always works from the sales price backwards, and markup always works from the COG forward. You got me? Okay, so, you, I mean, if you're in a dialogue with somebody, and you say, how much markup is that? And they tell you 100%, and you're starting to work on 100%. No, everybody works from the, the sales price backwards. Okay, so sometimes it's a little bit of a, like if you hear somebody talk, advertising, you typically want to advertise that you got half off when actually you didn't get half off. You with me? Okay, so, so you got 25%. You, you took 25%. And all I'm trying to say to you here is like, when you're in a kind of, when you're selling whatever it is, service, products, whatever it is, it seems like rookies, the first thing they want to do is do it cheaper. And I'm saying, like, to, to, to create a significant, if you want to create significantly more service or sell significantly more widgets, you typically have to discount something that sounds like a lot. Like you say, I'm going to give you a 3% discount. How many know that's probably not going to motivate most people? Unless you're talking about a credit card or something, you know, hey, we're going to give you 3% of your credit card sales back. Oh, that's a significant amount of money. But, but most of the time, 3% is not going to motivate anybody. So what I'm getting at is it might be better to motivate people with what your product does, what your widget does, what your service does. It might be a lot better to convince people that what you do is amazing as opposed to try to get people through price. Because when, when you try to get three people through price, you have to cut a lot. And you don't realize, if you don't realize that... Your COG, and I understand this is going to get really complicated. If we were doing a business class, then we would have a whole dialogue about how do you get your COG down? How do you get your cost of goods down? Because now we're talking about efficiency, and we're talking about like, okay, if I buy 2,000 of these, do I get a better price? So on and so forth, okay? So, but, but I'm just giving you a general statement, like, partly like, what I'm trying to help you with is how does your money make money? Remember the parable? One guy said, I made this much money. How many know Proverbs says if you're really diligent, diligent people can get rich. But I'd like to suggest that really wise people who have an anointing on their life get wealthy. And I'm just trying to help you with a few, just a few. All I'm trying to do today, like if we had a business class, we'd be nine months working on problems like this. I'm trying to just get you stimulated because when you're broke, you think like broke people. And I'm trying to just get you to think, do you have, you know, I think everybody in this class you should have a goal of having five sources of, of income. Five sources. I know, if you have 10, great. If you have 20, that's great. I'm saying a goal for everyday Joe would be I have five sources of income. So that my, what I do as a job is not, is not my only source of income. And like, in fact, I would like to just say it like this. 
What you do as a job can create the income you need to make your money work for you. So typically it looks something like this. Let's just say I work as a janitor and I, and I make, you know, let's just say I make $2,000 a month, whatever, it doesn't matter. I make $2,000 a month, I tithe, so that's $200, so I have $1,800 to live on, plus, let's just make that, let's make it a simple problem, no taxes, whatever. If I can use that, okay, I'm there, I'm working for money, right? Everybody agree? I'm working for money. Okay, now how about if I take another tithe, 10% more, and I put it away, and I go, this is my money that's going to, I'm going to learn how my money works for me. Because over here, I'm working for money. And eventually, if I grow that big enough, I don't have to work for money anymore because the thing I put into place for my money to work for me grows and grows and grows until my money is working for me. I no longer, I mean, I may stay at that job because it's my calling, but I'm not there, going there for money anymore because I have created, some, I have created a wealth machine where my money is now making money. I'm just trying to get you out of mode like, I go to work for a living, I make 3000 a month. It's like, listen, if you have a job, first thing I would do is I would learn to live on less. Some of you are young people, and, and, and please, I, I don't mean, I'm not talking down to you. I wish somebody would have set me aside when I was a young man, because I, I am and was a very hard worker. I started working full-time at 15. I wish someone once said, in the early days before I knew God, hey, live on 90% of your income. Because, listen, you, you don't think you can live on less because you don't. But you get used to it. Like, you know, I've tied for, uh, for 38 years. So, you know, when I get a check, when I get a, you know, when someone gives me a gift or whatever, anything that's monetary, I, 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 when, if someone gives me $1,000, I go, oh, I got $800. I mean, I just think like that. I don't even think... I don't think I got $1,000. I think I got $800 because I've been doing it for 38 years. Does that make sense? I'm saying it creates a mentality. I'm like, I give, I, the first thing I do is I, I tithe more than that. I give more than that, but I tithe on everything, everything that comes in, except for I don't tie on my COG. So for those of you that have businesses, I don't tie on my COG. In other words, if I was to tithe on this, let's say I made one sale and I made... I made I sold for two dollars. I would tithe on the dollar. I wouldn't tie on the COG. I wouldn't tithe. Does that make sense? And I'll tell you why. If you think through it, if you create a business, like for instance, my business um, did four million dollars. The last business before I came here, my business did four point two million dollars. My three businesses together, but my profit on four point two million dollars. Well, it, it was a loss the last three years. But a normal profit on four million dollars, it's about five percent net 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 is net is what. Your business made net net is what you get to take home. So I'm like, okay, I can't tithe 10% on $4 million because that's $400,000 and actually I only made $100,000. So people who say you have to tithe on the gross sales, they've never been in business. Or they've been in a business that doesn't have COG. Every business has COG in a sense you have electricity and an office and all that. But if you sell, if you're selling widgets, how many know you have to buy the widgets or build the widgets, and that all has a COG? Does that make sense to you? So what I'm getting at is this: is that first thing is, really simply, like everyone should tithe. I think that's clear. If you have a problem with that, then you, you need to work through that. And second thing, I would take a second tithe, and I would put it away for your family, and I'd say this is the money that you that, that it, it's the second parable. It's the parable of the minus. You're like, it may not be a lot of money. Remember the mine, it wasn't a lot of money. Remember, in order to have authority over cities, you don't need a lot of money. 
You just need to, you just need to use it wisely. And you, when, you're, when you learn how money makes money, then God goes, I can give you authority over things because now you're learning how to prosper whole cities, not just prosper yourself. Does that make sense? So if I were you, I, I, I would say everyone in here should at least have two tithes. You should tithe to your spiritual, whoever your spiritual covering is. And if it's not Bethel, then tithe, tithe to where your spiritual covering is. Secondly, I would tithe into an account that from this day forward, that account doesn't get touched. The only thing I use from that account is when the money makes money. Let me, let me just put it, let's, let's say, okay, did you get what I just said? So in other words, let's say that, um, let's say that I put um, 200 bucks a month in there, and after, um, let's say, after it gets to $10,000, I go, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go make an investment. I'm going to figure out how my money can make money. So when I'm sleeping, my money's out making money. It's the whole power to make wealth. God gave you power to make wealth. He created a valiant army so that your, wealth, your money actually is valiantly getting other money. Are you with me? And so you get to experience God in another dimension. If that $10,000 made $1,000... Let's say I invested 10 and I got 10% return. Not too bad, really, really. It's not the, ta- it's not the talent or mina, but I'm, saying, I'm just trying to say, realistically, if your money makes 10%, that's not too bad, right? So you go out and your money makes 10%. If I were you, I would keep that 10% coming back in so that that thing keeps growing. But if you're going to take anything, don't take your army. <laughs> take the, take, if you will, take the spoils that your army made. I'm saying, okay, can you see where I'm going? I'm saying build an army, that's your, your money. Build an army and don't take your army. Like never touch your army. Grow your troops. And if you, do, if you need anything, say the most I'm going to do is take the spoils that my army made. And if I were you, I wouldn't take it all. So I would say, like, let it build. So, you know, I made 10,000. I'm sorry, I had 10,000, I made 1,000. Maybe say, okay, I'm going to take 50% of what my army made. So my army's always growing, and now it's helping to improve my lifestyle, and I'm getting to get part of it now, and part of it gets to stay in there and build, right? Because if you take some risk, you know sometimes your army's going to lose some battles. Right? If you never lose a battle, you probably haven't risked enough. Like, you're probably so... You know where I'm going. Anyway, is that helpful at all? Okay. The, um, the other thing I said, which I think is um, really, uh, really helpful, is um, see, if I can, uh, see if I can demonstrate this. I, oh, I have it down on paper, so I will. See, one of these days, I'm going to have enough money, I'm going to buy an eraser. <laughs> there is? No, that, that's not an eraser. That's a false prophet. <laughs> okay, let's see if I can do this one. Um, okay, is it helping to work it out on the board or is it boring? I don't know. Okay, so let's say, same thing, you got a dollar, okay, it's your COG. We'll just leave the COG at a dollar so we always can just say the same thing, right? And, um, and you sell it for... To, uh, you sell, you sell it for two, okay, and now we're going to say it's times a thousand. 
Okay? How much profit? Profit do you have? Profit. Okay, you have $1,000, right? Okay, so we have $1,000 profit. Okay, now let's just say that we didn't care about the customer, which you know that's never going to work with God. So we're just using it as an example. And we're saying, how do we maximize the amount of money you make? And by the way, everybody has a core value. Like, for instance, my, my, like my books is a, is a business. That's one of my five sources. So I'm like, okay, what is your philosophy for your books? My philosophy is I want as many people to read my books as possible and profit is second. So as profit is first, I would actually self-publish. Because I'll sell 80% of my own books if I self-publish, and I make double, no, I'll make, I make about $1.20 if Amazon sells my book. I make, uh, I make anywhere from 5 to $9 if I sell my book. Guess what? I'd have to sell a lot of books on Amazon, and I mean, with a publisher, to actually make the same amount of money, right? So, but my, my core value with, is ministry first, because, because I'm a business guy, I feel like I have to be careful. I'm not saying you. I'm saying I feel like I have to be careful and I can't do money first. I can't do money first. I have to do, if, if a thousand people, if 10,000 people, if 20 more thousand people will read my book, even though I make a third the amount of money on it, to me that has to matter. For me. I don't have a problem with somebody having a different core value. Uh, a bunch of my friends self-publish. Specifically, they self-publish not because they can't get a publisher, but because they say, this is my, this is my kid's inheritance. And they're like, I'm touching a lot of people, and I'm also creating wealth for my family, and those, those two things are equally important for me. They're not equally important for me, and probably because I have lots of other, I have like nine streams of income. So I, I'm, not, I'm just trying to say, like, you have to decide what your core value is going to be, because what I'm about to teach you, or maybe you know, what I'm about to demonstrate is, is not the last word on what you should do. Does that make sense? I'm saying making the most amount of money is not always the right way to look at things. Okay, got it? Okay, so let's just say in our, in our example that we are trying to make the most amount of money from our investment. So we sell a thousand of those at two bucks, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we sold a thousand of those at two dollars, and we made a thousand dollars because we had a thousand dollars in COG, right? Okay, and so this is called... Um, um, uh, there's a name for this, sorry. Hey, don't laugh at me right now because I'm having a real um, identity crisis at the moment. Okay, well, uh, there is a title, there is a name for this, and I'm sorry I should know the name because I used this for 20 years. But anyway, so same cost, $1 cost, COG. And now I'm going to sell it, um, what's my example? I'm going to raise the price to $2.20. And instead of selling, um, instead of selling a thousand of them, I'm going to now it's going to drop the it's going to drop the amount that I, the number that I sell to 900. Okay, so how much is my profit now? How much is it? Thousand what? Thousand eighty, right? A thousand and eighty dollars. Okay, which way is the profit going? My profit's going up. And I'm selling less. Now, let's pretend for a minute that these widgets are not things, but they're services. Are you with me? In other words, the widget, the COG is labor, and I'm cleaning toilets. Just say. And I'm like, all right, 
actually, I'd like to clean less toilets and make the most amount of money I can. So I'm like, okay, here I'm cleaning 100 less toilets and I'm making $80 more. How many know in a service business, that sounds really good? Unless there's some other core value, which I explained to you, that sounds like a really good business move. Does everybody agree? Okay, so now I'm like, okay, so I, I take the same example and I raise my, my uh, price to $2.40. And now um, I sell, you know, obviously this is all arbitrary because you don't know how many you're going to really sell. But now I sell 700 700 Now how much money have I made? Does anybody know? $980. Okay, what I'm getting at, of of course, I just made this up. But this principle actually does work. So at some point, you maximize, you saturate your ability to make profit, and now your profit begins to drop. I'm sorry, that's $980. Okay, my point is this. Now, you might say, well, you know what? It's really cool. I clean 300 less toilets and I only made $20 less. And if this is a service, you might say, this is actually a really good deal. Because <laughs> I'm actually working you know, nearly one third less time and I'm actually only making $20 less. And if these are, you know, if we, if we, you know, this could be whatever, but if this was hours, I'm liking, like, if this was hours in a, well, it wouldn't be in a month, but if this is hours in a quarter, I'm like, I'm actually working one-third less hours, and I'm actually only making $20 less? Yeah, I'm going to do that. Right? And so what I'm getting at is like, what I'm trying to actually get you to do is think. I'm trying to get you to think out of, outside of the, I'm an employee, I go to work, church pays me, my office, my business pays me $3,000 a month. How much do you make? I make $3,000 a month. I'm like, no, you don't have to think like that. You are not relegated to the amount of money that you make. You can go, you, when you go to work for money, you're in talent mode. And it's good, right? It's good because the other side, the, unless you're in the one talent mode and you hide your talent, right? But if you're diligent, Proverbs has lots to say about a diligent person makes themselves rich because they work hard. And so I'm like, okay, that's really good. But if you just think like that, you're never going to create wealth because money makes money in wealth. I'm trying to get you into the, in, more into the thinking of wealthy people. I'll tell you, like, I see so many people on Facebook. Listen, I'm not, it's, it's fine. It's all fine, especially that most of your Facebook pages are private. It's all great. But it's like, I need, you know, I understand what people are doing. We're like, oh, someone gave me $500 for my Azusa Street trip. Yeah, the connotation is, I still need more. Please give me some. I get that. And it's all fine. It's, it's all fine. But, but if you learn this, you don't have to do that. Because you're relegating yourself to trying to get people who actually know how to make wealth. Like, they either know the talents or they know the minus to give you something. And you become the lender and not, you become the borrower, not the lender. And I'm saying, it's all fine. There's no problem with that. The people that don't want to give you, if people want to give you money, that's great. I never give anything to anyone on Facebook. 
And for probably obvious reasons. Like, the sadder the story, the more likely it's not true. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm averaging about two false Facebooks a week that people create a Facebook in my name and ask other people for money. So this is huge. So I never give money to anyone on Facebook. I may see someone on Facebook and meet them privately. I've done that a few times, but I I don't give to someone on social networking. That's the one place that you have a virtual relationship. And anybody gives to someone on Facebook, unless they're in your revival group or whatever, I think it's stupid. What do I do? Oh, thank you. God bless you. Okay. Helpful? Okay. Helpful. Yes. What do you, what's wrong? Oh, oh, you got it. Okay. Okay, I want to do just a couple of more. Um, see if the, I think there's a couple I didn't give you yesterday. Let's see if there's any good ones. Um, okay, let me just do this one. We just have a few minutes. Sorry, I was going to let you have questions and answers, but it ain't going to happen. Um, I want to tell you a couple more things. One is the quit while you're behind principle. The quit while you're behind principle. This is the principle. There's a, there's a tendency for us to pour more money into something than it's ever worth. Most of the time it happens because we invest in a widget to fix it, but when it breaks again, we pour more money into it, and at some point the investment that we're making to fix it already becomes the reason why we're investing more. Okay, it's like this. I have a $1,000 car, and it breaks down, and it costs $500 to fix it. I put $500 in it, I drive it another month, and it breaks down again, and now it's going to cost $1,000 to fix it. Now, the real reason why I'm putting 1000 into it is because I already put 500 into it. Most of the time, you have to just flush the money you put in it and walk away from it. Now, I'm talking about cars right now, and you're going to have to just use the principle. My point is, is that be careful that you don't invest because you invest it. Because when you start investing because you invest it, everybody say almost. almost. Almost always, it's the wrong decision. Almost always, it's the wrong decision. And lots of time, whether you, you, you might not realize it or not, and I said lots of times, not all the time, it has to do with your pride. Like, you don't want to actually admit that you shouldn't have put the first 500 into it. So you're trying to gain back your investment by investing more. And when you invest in something that's already broken and isn't worth the first 500 you put in it, but you decided to put 500 in it and you took a risk, don't take another risk by putting more money in something that, you already, didn't, that already didn't work. Now, there's going to be 100,000 exceptions. I'm saying, at least if you hear this once, you'll go, okay, are we putting money in this because we put money in it? Because we probably shouldn't have put money in it the first time. So it's better to walk away from a small loss than create a big loss. Great business people have losses. If you don't have any losses, you are not a great business person. I am not uh, you know, a political fan of anybody. I'm not making a statement this way. But when people like Donald Trump bankrupt a business... Do you understand that that's what wealthy people do when you own a hundred businesses? When you bankrupt in the United States, depending on what kind of bankruptcy you create, there's several kinds. One of the things you do is you get out of leases, <laughs> you get out of contracts, you get out of, you get out of labor contracts. And so let's say that 
you have these 20, let's say this is simple. Let's say you have 100 stores, and 80 of those stores produce, um, you know, let's just say a million dollars profit, and 20 of those stores lose 400,000. It's like, well, it'd be awesome to get out of those 20 stores. Because I would just love to have those 80 stores because instead of making a million dollars, I'm actually only making 600,000, and it's only because of those 20 stores. You know what I do? I bankrupt. I'm not telling anyone to bankrupt. I think bankrupting is generally morally wrong. Morally, generally morally wrong. But it's often a great business strategy. Well, I bankrupt, I reorganize, and what does the court want to know? That I can actually make a profit. So how do I demonstrate I make a profit? Well, if I get rid of those 20 bad stores that I have leases on and I have union contracts on and so on and so forth, or like I can be an airline, it's like I don't want to fly those I don't want to fly to those places anymore, and I have leases in those terminals, and I have union employees. Guess what I do? I bankrupt, and I reorganize bankrupt, right? Chapter 7, I reorganize. What is it? It's a brilliant business plan. I'm just trying to tell you that not everything's the way it seems. But when you're just a worker, and you're not a wealth guy, you don't understand that. Yikes. You're like, Chris told us to bankrupt. I did not. I'm trying to demonstrate that the way little people think is not the way big people think. I'm not saying that big people think always biblically. I'm just saying they think differently. So when you get up there and you're, Paul, you know, you're, 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 you're giving your speech against your opponent and you're going, well, he bankrupt. It's like everybody who does business knows you, you don't know what you're talking about. Because people that do you know, big businesses that buy other businesses, they typically put, a, it's not typically, they often put a business in bankruptcy so they can get out of contracts and reemerge with the best of the best. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could go plant a hundred stores and five years later you could actually get out of all the leases and all the contracts of the ones that didn't make money and now you don't they didn't make money because you did it for five years. I'm saying it's actually, in some ways, it's actually a brilliant plan, not a sign that you don't know what you're doing. Okay. Um, good word, Chris. Um, the next one, I'm going to give you a couple more. I guess I need to speak to that. Is bankruptcy Okay. Well, there are some reasons why bankruptcy... So, so why did our... Think about this for a minute. Why did our government and most governments around the world create a bankruptcy? And by the way, if you, if you live in Saudi Arabia or Dubai, anybody from there, you don't have bankruptcy laws. So there's no such thing as bankruptcy, which means you have, um, you have debtor's prison. So th- you have two choices. You either have debtor's prison or you have bankruptcy. Now, let's say the guy's building a business. He's employed lots of people for 20 years. He's created tons of benefit for the community in that he buys widgets, sells widgets, and everybody who builds widgets for him, he's helped create jobs for those, and maybe he has 10 employees. He's done all the stuff, and then he gets cancer. Now, did he know he's going to get cancer? Hopefully he didn't. And what happens? Now, everything he's worked for, has he done a thing wrong? No. And has he created tons of wealth for the community? Yes. He has no ability to pay back. What does he do? Well, that's what bankruptcy laws are for. They're for people in situations that that can't be helped, right? And it's like, are we going to send this man to prison? He has cancer, and are we going to send him to prison because he can't pay his bills? Well, I think we would all say that's ridiculous. 
Okay, but how about the suppliers he owes? How about the people he owes? Okay, when you sell on credit, our laws say if you sell on credit, buyer, uh, seller, beware. So if I'm selling to you and you're allowing me a 30-day charge, the government says, you allowed it. If you didn't get cash, not my problem. Are you with me? So, the, so it, and I'm, I'm making general statements. Of course, the bankruptcy laws are much more complicated than this. I'm just giving you the principles. I'm saying our government and most governments in the free world say, listen, if Johnny sells to Sue and, and, and Sue... And Sue gets to charge it for 30 days, right? And, and, you know, and Sue goes bankrupt. The court says, you extended her credit. We did it. And if you didn't get collateral for that, like, hey, Sue goes bankrupt, and you actually didn't get a house in collateral, like there is no, you didn't have any collateral, I'm sorry, but un, all uncollateralized loans will go into a big old pot, and when we sell all of this stuff in a fire sale, if there's any money left, we'll split it up with everybody who doesn't have non-collateralized loans. Does that make sense? Too boring? Okay. Now, what happens when corporations deal with other corporations? Do you understand a corporation is like a person? It's like a non-living person, right? So when you do business with a corporation, when you do business with Chris KV Ministries, you're actually legally not doing business with Chris. You're actually doing business with a corporation that Chris happens to benefit from, but it's actually not Chris. So if your corporation is doing business with my corporation, yeah, our laws don't have a lot, <laughs> they don't have a lot of mercy for anybody. So if you, are, you say, well, I'll lease you this property, KV Ministries Corp, and I am a corporation that leases you know, land to another corporation, the courts go, well, that's really good of you, but you extended credit. So this man can bankrupt out of you because you didn't have any collateralized... You know what collateral means? Yeah, it means you, you didn't have any collateralized uh, asset, so, so sorry about that. Uh, as a business, as a court, as a bankruptcy court, we will help you work it out as much as possible. We'll make it all just. But by the way, the day that you leased them property and did not have collateral, guess what? Sorry, you didn't have collateral. So if they bankrupt out of your lease, the court's like, not, super, not, too, super, you know, not too sympathetic to you. So these are, whether you agree with it or not, these are the laws of the land. <laughs> So sometimes when people bankrupt, it's the way they start over. And you can start, you can bankrupt every seven years. And, and again, I think that you have to really, you know, when my when I business went broke, when I came here, I told you the whole story. I didn't tell you the whole story, but I told you the basic story. The old $1.8 million. You know, I was a perfect candidate for bankruptcy. It wasn't my fault. I didn't. Uh, somebody else bankrupt it, which caused me, to, uh, had no way of paying it back. All of that. But the, our uh, board of um, elders said, please don't bankrupt. Please, just let us pray and let God do a miracle. In reality, the way that we, those things were paid off is through negotiation. So you owe someone, you know, let's say $10,000, and they settle for 1000 Well, in bankruptcy, they'd settle typically for nothing, especially if the loan was uncollateralized, right? So in reality, you, you know, and what I did is I paid off all my friends, I paid off all my relatives, I paid off everybody who was local, and everybody else, I just negotiated. I, every time I got money, I negotiated. So I'd owe someone 50 grand, and I'd say, I'll give you five. 
and they'd say, I'm not taking 5,000. I'm saying, all right, Joe will take 5,000. I'll give Joe the 5,000. And by the way, I'll be back to you in six months. And, you know, and I worked it out. But it still was negotiated because if you don't make $1.8 million in three years, then how many of you know, then those are negotiated down. Sorry. Um, how are we doing for time? 12 minutes. Should you um, tithe on a corporation? You should if you want it to prosper. If you don't, I wouldn't. Um, let me give you one more. Just because we're probably not going to do this again. I can see your faces. Um, here's another one. If you give customers too many options to solve the same problem, they'll usually, they'll usually result in less sales. Uh, it's a silly example. We had an auto parts store. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I want to be known for certain things. So I'm like, how about we have every brand of penetrating oil, you know, like WD-40, every brand of penetrating oil you can actually, that there actually is. So if you want penetrating oil, you come to our store, we're going to have it. You know what happened? The more brands I added, the less we sold the penetrating oil. I'm not saying of one brand, of all of it. You know why? Customer gets there, he can't figure out which one to use. You have one book on wealth, awesome. You have five, probably sell less than you sold in one. You have a product table, you probably want to decide, put your two books on wealth out there, not five, and put the two that you think are actually going to minister to this whatever conference you're at, because if you put all your products on there, you're going to figure out that your sales actually go down instead of up. There's this, uh, and there's a... um, there is a, actually a word for that too, which I don't remember any of these words. But isn't that interesting that the more options you give, typically, no, to a point. Like if you have one brand of, of WD-40, they're typically going to go someplace and they're going to go, okay, well, here they have three brands. But if you give them five brands, watch how your sales drop. And all I'm getting at is what you think is going to create more sales often doesn't. Some of these things I already told you about. All right. Uh, we got 10 minutes. I'm going to do this instead of answering your questions. If you had good questions, I'd answer them. <laughs> I'm practicing for running for a political office. You, you insult everybody and they vote for you. I figured that out recently. Um, here's where I'm going. Years ago, I had an auto parts store. I told you about this. this I had several, but I'm just going to take one auto parts store. I want to tell you a really true example. So when we um, started our auto parts store, we went out and got a small loan. I think, we, in, I think it was the second year we got a small loan. But we borrowed like $30,000. And in order to borrow any money from like somebody who's legitimate, they want you to do financial projections, which is basically, what are you going to sell before anybody actually needs it? And, you, and, and they want to look at your projections, and they want to know if you're going to actually be profitable so that you could actually pay back the loan, right? Here's really, what's really interesting. So the first year, and, um, I, we were, when we opened our, our, little, our little auto parts store, we started out after about a few months. We did 
$15,000 a month, which was you know pretty substantial for starting. And we ended the year with $400,000 in sales. So I took those that $400,000, and I'm like, okay, if we did $400,000 in one year, then, then how about... And, and, I, and I graphed it out, and I'm like, okay, when I graph this out, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Well, maybe I should have done this differently. Gosh, we're going to have just a few minutes. Maybe my best example. So, you know, month one, we do 5,000. Month two, we did, you know, 7,000, something like that. Month three, we do 10. Do you know what I'm saying? And so if you graph it, it goes like that, right? And so I go, okay, well, did I do something wrong? Okay, well, laugh appropriately. And we get here, and I think, actually, I think the first year was like 300000 So I like, okay, if I just take this graph, I put a ruler on it, and I go, all right, you know, if I would have started down here, it would have been wiser. And I'm like, year two, 600000 And I'm like, you know, I'm just following the graph, right? And I'm like, and year two, I did almost 600000 Miraculous, right? So I take the graph, and I go, man, this is so easy. Because, um, you know, if I did... It's 300,000 the first year, 600,000 the second year. How much am I going to do in the third year? Yeah, so I go, I go, you know, you know, year 1, year 1, you know, I do I do 300 and then 300. And then I go year 2, you know, and I go, wow, 600. Okay, so now I draw a line through that and I'm go year 3. What's year 3 going to look like? What's it going to look like? Oh, how about if I told you it went 720? Now, what's year four going to look like? Because actually, it didn't look like that, does it? It goes like this. Right? 720. Now we got, now we have, now we have what? How are we going to predict what year four is going to be? Is it going to go like that, or is it going to go like that? Okay, well, I'll tell you. Year four went 750. Year five went 760. You see a problem? Yeah. Okay. Do you know why it did that? See, so we know what's interesting. Remember, we sold fan belts and oil and auto parts, right? Year six... I could predict year six, how much we were going to sell in June of year six. I could predict in, in June of year five, how much we're going to sell in June of year six, and I'll be within $1,000. And not because I'm a prophet. I could predict before a fan belt breaks, before someone needs a quart of oil, before anybody needs a water pump, you, you get me, I already know how much I'm going to do and I'll be within $1,000, like 0.05%, a half a percent. I, within a half a percent, I'll be right. Do you know why? See, if you know why, then you'll know about your life. So I got all my guys together, and I showed them this. Of course, it was beautiful. It wasn't like this. but. And I said, does anybody know what the problem is. They're like, no. Um, we need to sell more parts. I'm saying, can anyone tell me, of course none of my guys are business guys, can anyone tell me why I can predict next June how much business is ours? 
They're like, uh, what? I said, can anyone tell me how I know how much business is ours before one single car breaks down? Well, I don't know, boss. Well, that's why to pay you the big money. Well, I'll tell you why. You want to know why? Because everybody does business, life. You know, you know, these are parables. Like Jesus told parables about money. Are you getting it? Because if you're only getting about money, you're not getting the point. Because everybody in the world does business in an invisible jar. How many understand that the invisible jar has a top? You're gonna go. You're gonna. I did. I did three hundred. I did six hundred. I did seven hundred. What's the problem? Now the now the business. I can't contain any more business. So I start asking my guys questions. How big is our jar? I know how big it is. It holds seven hundred and fifty thousand barrels. How do I increase the size of our jar? I say, all right, how many more auto parts stores are in town? And they say, two more. I'm like, all right. So what I'm getting at is this. It's already predetermined which parts are ours, which parts are Napa's, and which parts are CarQuest. It's already predetermined. You know why? Because there are reasons why our jar is this size. And I started asking questions. I said, okay. Who's our primary customer? All the auto parts, the stores. I'm sorry, the repair shops. Great. That's our primary customer. Um, tell me what the biggest complaint is that our, that our primary customer has. Who's our Herbie? Well, I know, boss. What? We do most of our business in two hours a day. In two hours a day, our customers complain that they can't get through because our phones are busy. Well, awesome. So we go out and we get two more phones. We have a meeting a month later. I said, how are we doing? They said, man, we hate those phones. <laughs> Why? Now our customers complain that the phones ring and ring and ring and nobody picks them up. Okay, let's get two more countermen. During those two hours, those two peak hours, we identify the hours and we say, during, nobody takes lunches during those hours. So you take a, a lunch before or after and we hire one more person. So now there's always two more people on the, on the phones. Now what happens? You know what happens to our sales? They, we found our Herbie. And all of a sudden our sales start to grow. Guess what happens though? Now we see our next constraint. What's our next constraint? So we get to about 800,000 and we stop growing again. I get everybody together. I go, what's the problem? Now they're getting it. What size is the jar that we live in? They go, oh, I know, I know, boss. What's the problem? It takes us two hours to get a part to our, to our customer, and our competitors get it there in an hour. Why? We need another driver. We get another driver. We go three more months. I get everybody together. Everybody's getting the idea now. They're like, I'm saying, feel the walls. Tell me what the walls are. About, so now we're like a year in this process. We're growing like crazy until we're not. When we stop growing, I go, water's flowing over the top. The water's business, right? I get everybody together. I say, what's the problem? They go, boss, we're running out of inventory. Because 20% of our inventory, we have 100,000, at the time we had $200,000 inventory. 
20% of our inventory, $400,000 of our inventory actually is 80% of our sales. And so we only have two of these water pumps, and sometimes we sell four a day. So we run out, and they have to go somewhere else. So we increase our fast-moving numbers. Are you with me? I'm saying we keep looking at the constraints because we're doing business in invisible glass, and we're we're expanding the size of our glass. I'm saying this is your life. (laughs) Everybody does business in some level of constraint. If you don't know it, it's because you're ignorant. I'm not saying stupid. I said ignorant. You don't know. And until you start exploring how big of a jar you have, how many understand you can't influence the size of your jar if you actually don't confront the issues in your life? You can make this jar favor. You can make this jar opportunities. You can make this jar books. You can make this jar ministry. You can make it money. You can make it whatever. And I'm saying, when you can predict how much you're going to make next year, how many invitations you're going to get next year, when you can predict it, you've felt the walls. You have felt the walls. I'm saying, when you can predict it, you've felt the walls. I'm not saying you know what they are. I'm saying, you know there's walls because that's why you're predicting it. So if I go, okay, I get 300 invitations this year, Next year, I get 300. How many of you know? I've hit my wall. Now, personally, I can't do more than 300, so I don't care. But if I cared, I'm like, all right, what do I do to get more opportunities? <laughs> Make sense? Okay. I'm at zeros. <laughs> 